0: All right, Luke chapter 3, verse 21 is where we're going to land today. Luke 3, verse 21. Uh, You can turn there. We'll have the scripture on the screen. Or if you need a Bible, because you don't have one back at home, we have some in the seats here and floating around. And if you don't have one back at home, please take these Bibles home uh, for yourself. We've been walking straight through the New Testament book of Luke. It's been a a really special time together and I just have thoroughly enjoyed it so far. And we're now uh, at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. Today we're going to look at three sections. Uh, we're going to look at uh, the baptism of Jesus. We're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. And then we're going to look at Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. Three uh, very distinct sections that I think Luke skillfully, as a, as a great writer and compiler of information, uh, skilled in the Greek, he, he skillfully puts all of these sections Uh, together and it's just going to be a a really amazing time to see what he's thinking and what he's doing and how he compiles it. So read with me uh, Luke chapter 3, we'll start with verses 21 and 22. It says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So today we're going to talk about identity. Now I don't think we have any Russian spies in the room. But I do know that we have people in the room with secret identities. Now here's what I mean. There are Christians in the room who we know. That the correct answer to the question, where does your identity lie? We know that we should say, well, Pastor Josh, my identity lies in Christ alone. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, firm through the fiercest drought. I mean, we know the correct answers, right? And a lot of times we we know it, but we don't really know it, you know, in the depths of our soul. Many of us have had you know various phases in our lives and some of us are in the midst of a phase now. uh, I know for me I've had all kinds of phases in my life. I had a phase where I was uh, the musician. I wanted to be known as the musician. I-, I liked it. I was the kid who played piano at church. I was the kid at the family reunions. Come on, little Joshua, come on up and and, and play some some Fur Elise, some Beethoven for us or or you know at, at school and the talent shows the, 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 you know the boy who plays the, the musician, and I liked that identity that that people. given me and I received it and that's who I was going to be was the musician until one day I was late for my baseball game and I got made fun of by some kids on the team because I was late because I was coming from a piano recital and so I decided okay no longer will I be the musician I'm going to be the athlete that's who I'm going to be and uh, you know I, I did a couple of sports and I even one time made it in the small corner of a small town newspaper with my picture wearing some spandex as a wrestler. And so I said, that's, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be the athlete. And so I like to portray that. I'm the athlete. That's who I wear my letter proud on my jacket. And that, that was who I was going to be. Any of you remember as a freshman in college, this was very distinct for me, that all the guys, especially for the fellows that you meet, they were all phenoms back in high school, whatever sport they played. You ever hear that? You can just identify yourself as, I was a stud. I had that game. I had that season. We were champions. And, and everybody was a phenom back in high school. You find that out. And so I thought that would be me as well. There was a season where I decided, here, here's who I am. I am her boyfriend. That, that's, that's who I Without her, I don't know who I would be. I am on her arm. And that's really all that, that matters. But for some of you, I am on his arm. I'm, I'm with him. And when that relationship ends, I don't know who I am anymore. Who, who am I outside of this relationship? And you, you lose yourself, you know. There was a season where I decided, Now, you know, I'm going to be the student. I mean, I made my rounds. Well, round. I'm going to be the student. Yeah, that's what I'll do. And I stopped wearing uh, my contacts and started wearing glasses more frequently. Occasionally put a pencil behind my ear. I'm going to be the... The, the student. I, I, I excel a little bit in, in, in school, and so I'm going to let people know how many books I consume. I'm to try to read more books, and, and really, I, that's who I'm going to be. But you know what I found? Is that there was always people smarter than me. Go figure, huh? And so then it, it clicks. You know, all of this is is wrong. They're all wrong priorities, because they're not they're not eternal things. And, and so what I need to be known as is none of these things. I need to be known as the, the Christian. That's who I need to be. I don't go to those parties. I need to be known for how well I love the unlovable. People see me from time to time serving at the, the, the Boys and Girls Club or, or mentoring a troubled youth or, or speaking up about a, at a Bible study about all that God is teaching me and about my vibrant prayer life, that's, I need to be known as, I'm the Christian, that's who I am. And then it happened. He happened, his name was Nick. Nick comes to faith in Jesus. He was the captain of the football team, was a friend of mine. But what we started to find was that he seemed to have it a little more together than, than I did. He seemed to, to pray more sincerely when he, he prayed He he, he seemed to share his faith more frequently. He seemed to have a a more impressive testimony. And and my identity, even as a Christian, started to become a little bit overshadowed. And and I was frustrated. And I started to find, okay, I've tried all of this. I've tried the, the Christian identity. And yet something is off. Even my identity as a Christian really wasn't any more noble than my identity for some talents. My identity as a Christian wasn't any more noble than than my identity for the person that I'm, I'm with. Whether it's a dating relationship or who you know or your family. My identity as a Christian wasn't any more noble than... Finding my identity in my successes, whether it was grades or achievements. It's all essentially the same thing. It's identity for somebody else's approval. You know, and and maybe some of you have a bit of a a secret identity. Maybe you know that your identity is in Christ alone and you sing about it and you declare it. And maybe you have this, this secret identity that is actually you're trying to find in something else. And maybe for you, it's not even all that secret. Like, that's who you are. You let people, that's who I am. For some of us, our identity is is found in the what. Our identity is found in in the what you do. Maybe it's secret, or maybe it's you pride yourself in it. I am a good mom. That's your identity. I am an athlete. I am a gifted student. I am a civically-minded citizen, and I give back most adults it's my career is what I am known by the business you built or where you're at now because of the ladder that you have climbed and can I be just completely honest with you all that other stuff was when I was much younger but today I struggle with this still sadly sometimes my identity can be found in my work and what I do as a pastor is our church growing did they like my sermon? <laughs> or I have to deal with some problem or some sin issue? Is that person mad at me? And who am I? Am I getting it all wrong? And my identity can be found in what I do. Is your identity found in what you do? Whatever that thing is. And, and so sadly, here's, here's what happens. If you do well and the reviews are good, you're grounded. Things are good. But if you perform poorly, you become a mess, right? Why? Because you're defined by what you do. If somebody criticizes you, or you get a poor review, a couple things can happen. Either one, you become defenseless, like how dare you? You don't know what you're talking about. You become defensive. Defensive. Because they're, they're speaking to the core of who you are. Or you just fall apart altogether. Well, if they don't approve, I don't know who I am. That is who I am, right? And you fall apart. Because your identity is found in the what. Another thing in the what is sometimes it can be found in what you look like. Some of us, many of us, spent more time this morning trying to make ourselves look good for others rather than saying my identity is in christ let me prepare my heart to worship with god's people open the word pray get your heart ready so that you can be here and you can help other people grow in faith and you can grow in faith and you can glorify god and so our identity can be found in the what you do what you look like what you wear some of us are always aware of what people are thinking how do i look today is my hair out of place it's the what. It's many of us are identity. For, for some of us, it's not the what, but as I've already said, it, it's the who. Some of us, your identity is based on who's on your arm. I'm his girl. I'm her man. And so if you don't have somebody, it's like, who am I? Nobody approves of me. Nobody wants me. And so it becomes about the, the who. For, for, for others, it's, it's about who you parent You are not you, you are that child's mom. You are that child's dad. And it seems really noble when they're younger, that your whole world is all about them. But as they get older, it gets a little bit sick and twisted, doesn't it? When mom or dad, their identity is found in you, and it's unfair pressure to put on to a child. It's, it's, it's tough. And the children start to realize mom will be crushed if i not on the straight and narrow. And what it actually does is it pushes them towards rebellion, doesn't it? Some of you have lived that out yourself. My dad will be crushed if I don't make that team. My parents will be crushed if I don't get into that college. And it's heavy on a child. And it often pushes them away. And your mistaken identity as a parent has led to generational problems because your identity is found in in the who. And for others of us, our identity is not found in the what or the who, but the where. I am from Boston, born and raised. I am wicked, smart, right? You got pride in where you're from. I am from Brookline, west side. Stay away from the college students. I'm on the west side of Brookline. Or it's about your house. You have this awesome house and you're so proud of it. And People cannot come into your house unless it is pristine because if they see a messy house, they see a messy you, right? Something's wrong with that family. Their house is a mess. And some people will get houses that are so ridiculous, full of stuff that they couldn't possibly ever use, and rooms that they hardly will ever go into. Why? Because it's about a status, right? And I think along those lines, it could also be your where could be your car. <laughs> and your car is a status. Some of us, our where could be the place you went to college. I went to Dartmouth. Well, I went to Yale. Or maybe outside of New England where it's actually about the football teams and not really about the education. I went to Texas, right? And you sticker up your, your car and within a, a minute or two of speaking to you, first time, somebody's going to find out where you went to school because your identity is in where. Let me give you another common one. For, for many of us, our identity is not found in a what, or a who, or a where, but our identity can be found in a when. Have you ever met people who are just so stuck in the good old days? It's all about way back when those were the best of times. I'm the man I am today because of those days. And they just, all they care about is way back when. But today, nobody cares. And it keeps people from moving forward in life because they're living an identity based on past successes. On the negative, for some of you, the win is a past mistake, and that has become your identity. And God in his scriptures has made it abundantly clear that he gives you a fresh start. It's called grace. When you get what you don't deserve, that he forgets those past mistakes and you can't receive it. You are stuck. That is who I am. I screwed up big time. And that is exactly who I am. And it's devastating when people live this way. It's also devastating when people let their past define them when the past was not their fault. So, some of you grew up in a home where you were having it constantly communicated to you you are worthless. And you've believed the lie. Or statistics will tell us one out of four women have been abused, one out of six men have been abused. That's people in this room. And we let that abuse define us. That becomes our identity. You're defined by how you were treated. And that is not what God has for you. They treated you as worthless, so you say, well, then I'm worthless. It's a lie. It's a lie. But listen, with with everything that we've discussed, even though it's a lie, All that's necessary is for you to believe the lie for it to affect how you live the rest of your life. If you believe the lie, it affects how you live. On the flip side, if you will believe the truth that God communicates to you, it affects how you live the rest of your life. God will declare for his children, for his followers, an identity, over you. And if you will believe that, it will affect the rest of your life. Let's, let's check out God's truth. His identity declared over the life of, of Jesus. Again, Luke chapter 3. And, and let's, let's read it again. 21 and 22. Just, just see this. People were baptized because we're at the tail end of John the Baptist's ministry as we looked at last week. And when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, this amazing thing happens. The heavens are open. The Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. And what does he say? God says, you are. This is who you are. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Now, of course, if that truth is believed, I am the son of God, beloved He's pleased with me. It affects how Jesus lives his life. Now last week, again, we looked at the the ministry of John the Baptist or John the baptizer. It wasn't a denomination. It's what he did. He baptized people. He called people to repent, which means to turn away from sin, turn to Jesus. And here we see John baptizes Jesus, signaling the beginning of the ministry of, of Jesus. Not that Jesus needed To repent. The scriptures over and over and over again affirm him as sinless. In fact, right here, God the Father says, I'm pleased with you. You have done nothing wrong. You do not need to repent. But what Jesus is doing is a few things. One, he's being anointed, just like a king would be anointed with oil. Jesus is being anointed with water. He's being anointed with the Holy Spirit there. We see as a physical manifestation what that exactly looks like, whether the Holy Spirit was a, a literal dove at that time or it just came together with something like uh, a, a dove. It's a picture of the anointing of Jesus. The dove also is a picture in those days of peace. That Jesus would bring peace for the world and peace in our hearts. Jesus is being anointed. The other thing is it's, it's speaking to Jesus being authenticated by the Father for the ministry that he's about to engage in. It's the Father's declaration. God the Father, you are my Son. And so we see every person in the Trinity, God the Father, Son, Spirit, involved in Jesus' life and ministry and involved here at his baptism. And, And then also in his baptism, what Jesus is doing is he's identifying himself with sinful people. Jesus was totally, completely without sin. Yet, he identifies himself with us sinful people. And so, resulting from this, because of what Jesus has done today as the church, we have two sacraments. According to the scriptures, we have baptism, because Jesus did it himself, and he commands it for us. Matthew 28 tells us to go make disciples and do what? To baptize them. There's one. The other one is, we have communion. Because Jesus himself did it, engaged in the Last Supper, and he says, I want you to go do it. This is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. So Jesus is doing it and commanding it. And what he's doing is he's identifying with his people. And it's so important to see that he is identifying with you as we talk about identity. It's so interesting, as I've been studying this all week long, that, that the next thing that Luke records is the genealogy of Jesus. He could have put this anywhere, couldn't he? I mean, you think about the, the, the gospel according to Matthew. He puts it at the very beginning of his gospel, genealogy of Jesus. But Luke, I believe, strategically puts it right after Jesus' baptism and just before Jesus' temptation. He's linking these things together somehow. And it's important to note that Matthew, when he lists the genealogy of Jesus, goes all the way back to Abraham because he was writing for the Jewish people. And Father Abraham and many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, the Jewish people, you know the song, you know the story. But Luke keeps going past Abraham. He goes all the way back to Adam, all the way back to the first human. And he links this to something he's he's doing something he's he's up to something now I'm going to spare you from reading the genealogy and the list of names but if you look at verse 23 he starts with Jesus and, and Joseph says Jesus is about 30 years old and then all the way at verse 38 who does he finish with he goes all the way back to Adam and it says the son of Enos the son of Seth the son of Adam The Son of God. And Luke is doing something really important here. See, in in the baptism waters, God the Father declares over Jesus Jesus, you are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Jesus, you're my Son. This wasn't something he decided right then. Now you can be my Son. He's been my Son from the very beginning, from eternity past. We read that throughout the scriptures. And he's declaring, you are my son. And then verse 38, and Adam is also a son of God. Jesus, the son of God. Adam is also a son of God. Now hang on to that. We're going to come back to that in a little while here. And so Jesus comes out of the baptism waters, no need to repent, but largely to identify with us. And what is the next thing that Jesus does as he comes out of the baptism water? He goes into The wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself. So, this is important. God's identity over Jesus has been declared and affirmed and now desert. And some of you, you're here and and you get charged up and you get reminded of the truth of the scriptures. But you leave these doors to a desert. It's, It's hard. Life is really brutal on you. You're struggling with depression. Your family life is a mess. Your relationship is a mess. You don't know who you are. You, you come in here. Here's who you are in Christ. You leave to a desert. Let's read on. Look at verses uh, 1 and 2 of, of, of now chapter 4. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. That's a long time. Being tempted by the desert devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry, to state the obvious. So Jesus, baptized in the Jordan, he's baptized. Now he goes into the Judean wilderness. It's a deserted place. Uh, it's, it's mountainous. There's very few trees. No one would want to vacation there. No one would want to even spend 40 days there, prayer and fasting. Like I'd like to spend 40 days of prayer and fasting in my living room, my sofa. This is a a crazy place. It's reflective of other prophets in the scriptures who go to secluded places to pray and to prepare. Jesus doesn't eat during those days. Instead, he, he prays, he fasts, and all the while is resisting the temptation of the devil coming upon him. And the scriptures here will give us three temptations from the devil. Not that they're the only three temptations of the devil during these 40 days. But I think they're, they're uh, the epitome or the, or the culmination of the temptation that was taking place in the wilderness upon Jesus. Now let's read on verses 3 and 4. It says, The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, In the scriptures that is, man shall not live by bread alone. This is so important, catch this. Jesus is baptized, and while in the waters, God does this amazing, miraculous thing, and the skies are opened up, and the Holy Spirit somehow manifests himself like a dove. It's crazy. And then audibly, people report to Luke. If you remember from the beginning, Luke is compiling eyewitness testimony for this man, Theophilus, so that he can know who Jesus is, the message of Jesus, so that he can believe. This is people's testimony. This is not Luke says, that's probably something like, this is what people said. They said, they heard in an audible way, you are my son. That happened. Yet when Jesus is most vulnerable and he's lacking food. Anybody get vulnerable when you're lacking food? i got an empty stomach. I get cranky. So when I'm praying and fasting, I'm like, all right, baby, you're going to have to help me with the kids a little bit because is going to be a tough one. Right? Jesus is lacking food. He, he's, he's vulnerable. He's weak. And, and, and what does Satan do? He says, if you are the son of God. You hear that? You are my son. If you are God's son. The very first move of Satan is to call Jesus' identity into question. It's already been emphatically declared. And yet he says, I'm going to question that. That's, that's my first move. One of the most successful tactics of Satan, of the enemy, of the devil, whatever you want to call him from the scriptures, one of his most successful tactics is to put a question mark where God has already put a period. He has done that in your life. He has done that in my life time and time again. God, you are my son. Satan, are you really the son of God? If so, then prove it. Here's a stone. Turn it in to bread. And so often, when we picture Satan and how he gets us and he works on us, we picture demons, we, we picture physical manifestations, we picture darkness and drugs and sex. But for Satan, this is his Super Bowl. Like, if I can take Jesus out, that is the win to supersede all wins. And he goes on the offensive, and does he physically harm Jesus? No. Does he say, here's some liquor, let's get drunk? No. Does he bring in some harem of women to test them because we know that men are weak when it comes to women? No. What is his tactic? Question mark. He puts a question mark before Jesus. God has declared this. The Father has declared this over you. Let me question that. Question the truth that's already been declared. And he still does that today, and he does it over you, and he does it over do you really think God would love you after what you've done after how many times you've done what you've done after where you've been after what you've seen about what you do in secret you think God really loves you could he possibly love you there are so many people better than you look over here look at Nick look at him praying you don't touch that it's a good tactic of the enemy he uses it time and time again look at verses 5 and 8 through eight now it says, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I don't quite know what that looks like. Maybe like a movie screen just shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. See how that's a lie right there? He's referred to from time to time as prince of the world. Satan, the enemy, he's got some kind of power on the planet, but he does not have that kind of power to give. He says, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple of God and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus, what does he say? It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, which I believe was the cross. So Satan brings Jesus to an elevated place, doesn't he? He says, let me show you this in some kind of visual way. Here's the kingdoms of the world. You can have all that power right now if you worship me. So he calls into question the rule in the reign of Jesus that he knows he's going to have because God the Father has promised it to him. You are the son of God. This is all yours. It's inaugurated here. It will be realized in fullness at the end. But it's yours. Then he goes on, the final temptation, he brings him to the pinnacle of the temple, the corner of the temple, and he says, Jump. And if you're the Son, the angels will will catch you. And once again, verse 9, he says, If you are the Son of God. He's questioning Jesus' identity. He's very good at finding where you're weak, when you're weak. Jesus is without food, and implants these questions. He whispers these lies. He's very good at it. He's been doing it from the beginning. You remember the garden? Adam and Eve? Did God really say that? And how did it end? Adam and Eve believed the lie. And they questioned the goodness of God. But how about Jesus? He does not believe the lie. He does not question the goodness of God. His identity from God the father he is very secure in that and what does he do at every single temptation another time we'll have to break this apart even more deeply what does he do though at every single temptation he quotes scripture back to the enemy Says, i'm standing firm in the promises of god i know what god has said and you've got it wrong this has been declared do not lie to me that's what jesus does He knows the scriptures. He knows the promises of God. And he will not be lied to. Now, as we start to kind of round third base, I I have to ask you, how does this apply to you today? What Luke does is he strategically traces Jesus' lineage past Abraham all the way back to Adam, the very first human Who sins against God, which is a problem that we all inherit. The scriptures make that abundantly clear. We inherit the sin of Adam. Do we all sin on our own? Yes, we all sin. We're also born in sin. David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. We've been transgressing from birth. I didn't have to teach my kids how to sin. They They just do, right? We... Inherit that, because Adam believed the the lie. Eve believed the lie. And and Luke is saying, but Jesus is our second chance. He's going to retrace the footsteps of Adam. And yet Jesus will not believe the lie, and Jesus will be victorious. Can we compare Adam and Jesus for a moment? Adam, lush garden. Jesus, wilderness. Wilderness. Adam, plenty of food, just not this one tree. Jesus, hungry. Adam, you've got companionship in this thing. You've got your girl with you. And God, it says, walked with him in the garden every night. Jesus is alone. Adam believed the lie. Jesus did not believe the lie. Adam failed. Jesus succeeded. Jesus goes back and he retraces Adam's steps and he's victorious so that if our identity will be found in Jesus alone in his work in his life in his death in his resurrection then you can be made right with God because you say it's not about my life it's about his life. He has done for me what I could not do for himself. Theologians of old call it the great exchange. His life for my life. His death in place of my death. And through him alone, you can be made right with God. That can be your identity, which leads to, yes, we fail in the flesh, but we are made alive in the Spirit, in the Lord Jesus Should we identify with him? Colossians chapter 1, 27 says that Christ in us, through us, retracing it all through us, he is the hope of glory. You see what Luke has done? He could have put that genealogy anywhere. He puts it right there in a narrative format. He shows us the gospel. At the beginning of the the ministry of Jesus, he says, here's what Jesus is going to be up to. Here's what Jesus is doing. This is how Jesus is going to change the world. He's going to change people. He's going to come into people, give them new life, free them from false identities. He's going to give them a new identity, and that is the identity of himself, so that just as God said of Jesus, he now can say of you, I am well pleased with you. But, 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 but God... You know my past. He says, I look at you and I see Christ in you, your hope of glory. You know this scripture? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Christ in you, the hope of of glory. So you don't have to live out of that false identity. Instead, you can live out of freeing identity and the freeing identity is jesus let me let me just show you how this identity is free think about all those false identities think about the ones that you were starting to relate with all of those false identities can change in an instant can't they you lose a job well who am i maybe as a result you lose the house Your sports, you get old and fat, or that relationship abruptly ends. Your kids move out, and they don't need you to hover over them any longer. They need you to come alongside them as an advisor and as a friend. Spouses can be unfaithful, mess up, prove sinful at the very least, or you don't hit that achievement mark. You don't get that promotion. All that stuff can change in an instance. And if your identity is in that, it's not good. Here's the problem with living that way. It puts you in this continual state of perform, 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 perform to get favor, to get favor, to get favor. And nothing is secure in your identity unless you perform and perform well, right? It's an awful way to live your life. Tiptoeing around, hoping that you don't mess up, walking around trying to prove yourself all the time. It's exhausting. And that is not what God has for you. It also keeps you from taking risks, from doing great things, because you're constantly afraid of, what if I fail. Then my identity's gone, people will view me as a a failure. It also breeds self-righteousness and and hate. So, as an adolescent, that's why the band nerds would joke the jocks. You know, it's all bronze but no brains. And the jocks would joke the, the band nerds. Right? As adults, it moves into your political position. You're looking across the aisle at other people, think they're imbeciles, or it's your career and your identity is built in how hard you've worked and you've got to where you are because you have worked so hard, and so when you see somebody as lazy or incompetent, it drives you to hate. You can't believe them. They are at odds with everything about me, about who I am. See how that starts to to work? And in these identities, success will always puff you up, breed self-righteousness, make you look down your nose at other people, and your failures will always crush you, won't they? Who am I? It's this continual state of performing. There's no security. And so we live our lives trying to please, trying to perform, pleading for approval. But the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is he came to do what Adam failed to do. And if you trust in him, if your identity is in him, your identity is secure and God's approval is on you, period. John chapter 10, no one can snatch you out of the hand of God. It says it twice to add emphasis. No one can rip that approval away. You are the son of God. Of God. Jesus' life. And his death and his resurrection. Is finished. We know this because it says he, he's seated. At the right hand of the father. It's done. Your identity is secure. Let me close with this. I, I brought a friend along. I don't normally do this. But I, I brought this guy along. In my opinion. Toy Story. Is the, the best animated Film series of all time. That's my opinion. I just think it's it's really, really, really good. And in Toy Story number one, we open up with this becoming Andy's doll, right? And so, you remember what Andy does to identify this is mine? This is who he is. What does he do? He writes on the bottom of his foot his name. This is Andy's doll. He's mine. But if you remember in Toy Story chapter, or or, or part two, what happens? In in Toy Story 2, he mistakenly gets put on the table at a yard sale. And the guy takes him, and he was a toy collector. And what's the first thing that he does? He says, wow, this is vintage Woody doll. This is very, very uh, important. This is worth something. So he, he, he sends him away, gets him all cleaned up, doesn't he? And what do they do? They erase Andy or paint over Andy. They clean up his face, make him look really, really, really good. And then in Toy Story chapter 3, he's back in Andy's arms again. But how does the whole thing end? He's not Andy's anymore, is he? Now who, who's, who's is he? He's the little girls. Oh, sorry if I spoiled that. I'm so sorry. I should have given a spoiler alert. He goes in the hands, in the hands of, a, of another, right? A lot of times... Our identity is based on the external. Whether who, who's oh he's Andy's, that that's who he is. Clean him. Oh he's he's not Andy's. He's this guy's. Oh no he's he's this girl's. And our identity can be on the externals. Who who we're with, how we look on the outside. All painted up and fresh. He's a vintage Woody doll. It can be based on all the all the externals. But then you remember that that moment in in Toy Story two and. They realize, wait a second, we're about the children. <laughs> it's, it's about us being played with. That's what we are created for, right? It's not about whose name even is on it. It's the tag right here says Mattel. <laughs> I'm a toy. That's, that's who I, It's imprinted on my makeup. And, and, and that's who we are. We need to understand that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. It's not about the external stuff we put on in terms of how we choose to, to go about a career path or what we do or whose arm we're on. It's not about all the external stuff. It's about from the beginning imprinted on you is God's thumbprint. You were made in the image and likeness of God. You were made for a relationship with God the Father. That's it. And you can have that relationship restored through Jesus. Now here's the cool thing about it. Is God says, if you can identify that, if you can live out of that relationship, it doesn't mean that you can't have an Andy anymore. You can still have an Andy. You can still have a relationship. You can still have a successful career. But just don't be confused as to what it's all about. Don't be confused as to your identity. It's not in him or her because him or her, they're sinful. They won't mess you up. he went off to college and didn't care anymore, right? He passed her on to another girl. All that stuff is flawed and sinful. Your career path might not lead the way you want it to. Maybe it will. Regardless, if you make that your identity, things are going to be a mess. Your identity is imprinted on you at the very moment of your makeup. You have been made in the image and likeness of God. You are about a relationship with God and your identity is in God. And you are restored to relationship with God if you will trust in what Jesus has done. In Jesus retracing your life and doing so perfectly. You see the freedom that is found in that? There's freedom instead of the false identity. And I want to call you to that today. Some of you have never received the freedom of giving your life to Jesus. Turning from sin, as John said, and turning to Jesus and trusting in Jesus' life on your behalf. and Being made new, giving a fresh start, and being free from all the games the world plays. Others of us in here, we are believers, but we struggle. We drift from time to time to these false, these mistaken identities. And we need to return to who we are in Christ. That's your identity. Be mindful of that. Let that just resonate in your heart, in your soul. and Let him live through you the life that you can never live. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus. Lord, I pray for my friends in this room, Lord, that they would... Lean fully on Jesus and his work on their behalf. If there's people in here who need to give their life to Jesus. I commit them to you right now that they would give their lives to Christ. They would say yes to Jesus. Turn to Jesus fully and be made new. And For my Christian brothers and sisters in the room, Lord, recalibrate their minds and their hearts and who they are, why they're here. And let everything else work out of that. So Father, we commit these to you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the time. In Jesus' name we pray.